engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. I'm honored to announce our, our guest tonight, uh, Father Frank Pavone, has been with us before. I think when in our third or fourth such chapter meeting years ago, he, he spoke. Um, Father Pavone is one of the most prominent, if not the most prominent, pro-life leader in the world today. Originally from New York, he was ordained in 1988 by Cardinal John O'Connor and has dedicated his entire ministry towards ending abortion. Among many other titles, he is director of Priests for Life, which is the largest pro-life ministry in the Catholic Church, and of Rachel's Vineyard, the world's largest ministry of healing after abortion. He travels throughout the country to an average of four states every week. Uh, He told me earlier tonight, he's 63 years of age, you wouldn't know it, He's energetic, vibrant. I mean, he speaks to hundreds of thousands of Americans uh, via radio and television every day and does uh, just uh, an incredible, he loves to travel, so he's constantly in and out of of airplanes and speaking at the next event. And we're very proud and honored to have him here tonight. Mother Teresa asked him to speak in India on life issues. And so profound is, is his work that the Vatican appointed him to the Pontifical Academy for Life. Um, gosh, he was president at the bedside of Terry Schiavo as she was dying and was an unspoken advocate for her life. And for those who, are, who have been with us for a while, they remember Bobby Schiavo was with us as well as a speaker one year. Very touching, instrumental. Uh, Members of Congress have invited him to address the pro-life Congress. His work has been praised by presidents, popes, and countless citizens, and clergy of all faith and backgrounds. He is the author of four books, and probably the most significant statement here uh, that we're going to make is that uh, Norma McCorvey, who is the Jane Doe in the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade abortion decision, called Father Frank the catalyst that brought me into the Catholic Church. Everything about Father Pavone is powerful and energetic. We are honored to have him here as our speaker tonight. All right. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is... Great to be back. Great to be back. Thanks for taking the time to come out here. You have had this banquet, I understand, some 14 times. I was privileged to be here uh, early on in that track record. But tonight, after the praying of God's people, the marching, the sacrificing, the educating, the broadcasting, the preaching, the voting, the lobbying, And so much more activity, the counseling, the pregnancy centers, the healing work. This movement, which has so many dimensions to it, so many aspects, so many facets, so many dynamics, and so many people, many of whom have already gone on before us to the Lord, 
many of whom are our colleagues and fellow citizens today. After five decades of unselfish work and sacrifice, God has shown himself faithful because this is our first gathering here when we can stand up and say that the policy in this country on abortion is no longer governed by Roe versus Wade. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know what this shows us, brothers and sisters? It shows us the faithfulness of God because how many people, how many times we ourselves said, Lord, in the words of Scripture, Oh Lord, how long? How long must your people wait? How long must we live under the shadow of death? How long, O oh Lord, will there be violence, bloodshed, the outcry? In the prophet Habakkuk, God speaks through the prophet and says, The vision still has its time. It presses on to fulfillment. It will not disappoint. And then we could go to the book of Lamentations too in the middle of that outpouring of grief unlike in any other piece of human literature. The book of Lamentations right in the middle of all that grief outpoured by the prophet because the Babylonians had come in and destroyed the holy city, Jerusalem, and the temple and taken the people out to Babylon in exile in the midst of all the grief talking about the children dying in their mother's arms and, and people dying in the streets of the city the prophet says but this I will call to mind as my reason to have hope the favors of the Lord are not exhausted his mercies are not spent they are renewed each morning so great is his faithfulness. Good is the Lord to the soul who waits for him. It is good to hope in silence for the saving help of the Lord. Those words of the book of Lamentations. Those words from the prophet Habakkuk. The words of countless prophets and saints we see once again fulfilled before our very eyes here tonight. Because in the reversal of Roe v. Wade, we have come to see that the favors of the Lord to America are not exhausted. His mercies have not been spent. They have been renewed. And He has given us a new season of hope to continue to work for life. It is a testimony, by brothers and sisters, to the favors of God. And by the way, he says they are renewed each morning. Not simply each day. Not each evening. Why does the word say each morning? Because early on the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, the women came to the tomb. And on their way there, they were wondering, who will roll the stone away for us? How are we going to get to the body of Jesus that we want to anoint? Who will roll away the stone? Think about the meaning of that question. The stone was sealing the body in the tomb under the power of death. Who will roll away the stone for us? The stone in the way of the hopes of all humanity represents death itself. 
Who is powerful enough to overcome death? And they're walking and they're wondering. And little did they know that stone had already been rolled away. And the answer to their questions was in the person of the risen Christ. They are renewed each morning because on that morning he rose. And when he rose, the gospel tells us an angel came down and not only rolled away the stone, but sat on it. A symbol of the definitive triumph. In other words, the stone is not going to roll back again. The door to eternal life has been opened to us all. And Jesus Christ did not simply conquer his own death. He conquered the kingdom of death. He conquered your death and mine. He conquered the death of every unborn child. He conquered the power of abortion. And so we're here tonight, brothers and sisters, in a new chapter. I want to trace for you a little bit of what just happened with the reversal of Roe v. Wade, why it happened. And then talk to you about how it intersects with the work we are all doing in this great movement, and specifically the work of Georgia Right to Life, and here the Greater Augusta chapter of this organization. Because you, I can tell you, are hitting the nail on the head with the kind of projects that have just been described to us, the kind of work that you're here tonight to support and that you are involved in. It's hitting the nail on the head. It's exactly where it should be. And I'll explain to you why and how that builds on this victory we have just won at the Supreme Court. Now, many people are looking at this reversal of Roe v. Wade and they're saying, wow, this is amazing. And it is amazing. But brothers and sisters, it's not as if there were some kind of big castle, fortified castle, or some kind of strong edifice that all of a sudden the Supreme Court came in and blew up or knocked down. The better analogy would be this, a dilapidated building with a very weak foundation, part of which has already been removed and, 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 and thrown away, other parts of which were just about to collapse under their own weight, many parts of which were abandoned. That's, that's what Roe v. Wade was just prior to this decision that came out at the end of June. It was, first of all, built on a very flimsy foundation. And that, in fact, is one of the reasons that the court gave for reversing it, even though it had been in place for almost 50 years. It was weak right from day one. One of the reasons it was weak was, of course, the foundational assertion of the Dobbs case. You look at the holding of the decision, and what does it say? The Constitution does not secure a right to abortion. Everything that the other side has said for 50 years, oh, there's a constitutional right to abortion. The Dobbs decision, if you want to summarize a lot of legal reasoning, in three simple words, is, it's not there. It's not there in the Constitution. It's not there in the history of our country. It's not there in state laws or federal laws or state court decisions or federal court decisions or scholarly treatises. It's not in our history, our tradition, our jurisprudence. It's not there. 
You go back to colonial times. You go back to the beginning of this nation. Abortion was illegal. Nobody was claiming a right to abortion. You can't find it. It's not there. For 50 years, this court has asserted a right that until Roe v. Wade was argued in the early 70s, nobody ever asserted before. We have to understand the complete departure that Roe v. Wade was from our, from our history. We know we all have rights that are they're not explicitly mentioned by word in the Constitution. We know the word, the word abortion is certainly not there. But we have lots of rights that the word isn't necessarily in the Constitution. It doesn't have to be if it is deeply rooted in our nation's tradition and history. But here you have it neither in the Constitution nor in the tradition and history. They made it up out of thin air. Furthermore, when they did make it up out of thin air, did you realize that many of the justices on the court at that time didn't even understand what the Roe v. Wade case was about when they accepted it? What do I mean? There was a confusion at that time. There were a number of, of debates about abortion going on in court circles, but some of the justices thought that they were deciding a case having to do with the jurisdiction of the federal courts in state criminal proceedings. They thought they were going to be resolving a jurisdictional issue, not a substantive issue of whether or not the Constitution provides a right to abortion. And so they weren't prepared. Do you know that in the oral arguments... For Roe versus Wade, which, by the way, took place twice because there was a change on the court, so they wanted to rehear the case. But in neither hearing of the oral arguments was the following question even discussed. If we permit abortion widely in America, what impact will that have on women's health? Wow. Women's health? What is the other side always saying? This is an integral aspect of women's health. Abortion's all about women's health. We don't agree with that, but that's their position. Why wouldn't you discuss the impact on women's health? Another reason the case was so flimsy, if you know anything about court cases and how the whole process works, a case comes before the Supreme Court, a case comes before any court, it's got a record. You know, you have the federal court system, you have the district courts, you have the appellate courts, and then you have the Supreme Court. One of the things an appellate court does is appellate review. It reviews the record of the case at the district level where there's a trial, where there's arguments, where there's documents. You're hearing me correctly. Roe versus Wade had no record. In fact, if you read the oral arguments of the case, one of the questions the justices are asking is, are there any facts in this case? Is the plaintiff even a real person? Those of you here who have any kind of legal training, you'll appreciate the, 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 the profundity of this and the absurdity of it. They didn't know what was going on. And, and Roe v. Wade skipped the appellate level. It went directly from the district court to the Supreme Court. Because there was a, a provision in the law at that time, no longer now, that, would, that allowed that to happen. And they took advantage of that. 
Plus, I knew Norma McCorvey, as was mentioned already, Jane Rover over here, she became a very good friend. I was a spiritual guide to her. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> she never appeared in the courtroom. She didn't know what was going on. You know how she found out the result of the case in the Dallas Morning News. So this is, and finally, one of the key things at issue in the Dobbs decision that just came down, reversing Roe and Casey, was viability. Because up to now, the, 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 the legislatures could only prohibit abortion after viability, not before. So the courts put a very big roadblock in the way of any effort to protect babies prior to viability, which at the time of Roe was about 28 weeks. Now it's more like 22. Where did that come from? First of all, again, just like abortion isn't in the Constitution, neither is viability. But where does this idea even come from? Well... Was it maybe in the law that was being challenged in Texas? And, of course, here in Georgia, at Doe v. Bolton, right? I knew, I knew her, too. Uh, uh, Sandra Cano, the Doe of Doe v. Bolton. Roe and Doe were decided together. They're supposed to be read together, interpreted together. And in neither of those cases was viability an issue. It wasn't in the law. It wasn't in the arguments. It wasn't in the decisions. So was it maybe in the briefs that were submitted to the Supreme Court? Did any of the petitioners on either side, did any of the friends of the court make the argument that the line should be at viability? You know what the answer to that is? No, none of them did. Okay, so maybe it was in the oral arguments, right? They must have discussed it if it was such a crucial part of the decision. Guess what? It wasn't brought up in the oral arguments. At all. So it's like, wait a minute. This viability line... Where in the world did it come from? And when? You're not going you're not going to believe this one. About a month before the decision was issued. Now again, like I told you, it was argued twice. It was argued in 1970 and in 1971. About a month before the decision was issued, the justices in conferring among themselves dropped the viability idea into their memos. Ah, this would would be a good place to put it. They were originally moving in the direction of stopping it after 12 weeks, saying first 12 weeks of pregnancy you can get an abortion, but after that, no, not so much. But they said, well, you know, some women might, and here's this grand constitutional argument, okay, some women might need a little more time to make the decision. That's it. So they put it in a memo, and all conferenced among themselves. Oh, this sounds like a good idea. Let's, let's put it in the decision. That's it. The other side really made fools of themselves back in December when they had the oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court because they were, and including the Biden administration, by the way, because it wasn't just the abortion business in Mississippi that was threatened to, for, you know, under this new Mississippi law, threatened to lose business. The Biden administration asked for time before the Supreme Court to weigh in with arguments in favor of the abortion side of this case. And both they and the, and the representatives of the abortion facility said, oh, yeah, you know, this is a principled and constitutional dividing line. It's the only reasonable line to make the uh, boundary between when abortion can be prohibited or not. 
principled constitutional line that was just thrown in a month before the decision? This is a, brothers and sisters, this was a joke. Roe v. Wade was extraordinarily weak also because all, for all its historical uh, uh, mumbo-jumbo, and that's what it is, they used one guy whose historical arguments about abortion had never been heard before and have been discredited since. Cyril Means, he was a pro-abortion attorney. And they relied on him, the decision quotes him seven times, and quotes no other historian. Not only that, but Blackman in the decision goes on talking about ancient philosophical views about abortion and medieval philosophers. What does that have to do with the Constitution of the United States of America? Nothing, absolutely nothing. The science is garbage because it literally skips over hundreds of years of scientific development. The court looks like an idiot in saying in this decision, we don't know when human life begins. Oh yes, you certainly do. Science already knew about the sperm and the ovum and the process of fertilization, but guess what? Roe v. Wade skipped over. They talk about medieval science, they talk about ancient science, when they had no idea how a human life actually came about, and they literally skipped, as if it didn't exist, all the scientific discoveries about the human reproductive process, and they go before the world and say, we don't know when human life begins. So are we surprised that the court has finally reversed Roe v. Wade? Friends, what I'm saying to you is, we don't have to be that surprised. Because this thing was like a dilapidated building already collapsing under its own weight with a foundation that was very, very weak. And even when Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992, you know, that case almost did it. That case almost reversed Roe v. Wade. And many were expecting that it would. Even though they reaffirmed it, they reaffirmed it like this, at arm's distance and with their hand over their nose. Because they did not reaffirm any of Roe's arguments. As a matter of fact, they changed the arguments. They put abortion on a different basis and they abandoned the legislative line drawing, I say legislative, because the court was acting like a legislature. They were creating policy on abortion instead of interpreting the Constitution. And Casey, well, they invented some lines of their own, but they rejected the entire framework that Roe v. Wade had laid out. There's certain things the state could do in the first trimester, certain things in the second, certain things in the third. They threw it out the window. So did they reaffirm Roe? Well, yes and no. They reaffirmed the central holding of it, but it was like, uh, you know, let's destroy everything else because it doesn't make sense even to us. They reversed it, brothers and sisters, also because one of the key arguments in this Dobbs case is that the decision did damage. It did real life damage to the children, the moms, the dads, the family. It did damage to our legal system. When you take a medical procedure, and there's no other medical procedure that is in this category, and you give it the status of a constitutional right, 
You're doing damage to the medical profession and you're doing damage to the system of law because now every reasonable restriction on abortion, even the idea that, well, maybe the abortion... The abortionist should have hospital admitting privileges in a nearby hospital. All of these very reasonable restrictions, regulations, limitations were being struck down left and right by the Supreme Court because ultimately, ultimately, boil all their arguments down, they were saying, oh, but this has a special status. This has a constitutional right. You can't mess around with this. Do you know that in the Dobbs decision... The legislators of Mississippi, whom, by the way, we honored last year at the, the we, we, conduct the uh, we conduct the prayer service on the morning of the March for Life, and we honored the lawmakers in Mississippi who, who, who passed this law uh, back in 2018 that was challenged, and that became the Dobbs case. When, they, when that law was challenged in court, all the things that the legislators said about why they passed this law. Look, we know more about the baby in the womb than ever before. We know more about the harm abortion does to women than ever before. And they presented all this evidence in the court. You know what the court said? We're not listening. The court said, we don't want to hear it. Understand what just happened here. The court said, look, we just want to know one thing. Does this law prohibit abortion before viability? And of course, the state of Mississippi said what, we're all, what we all say. Well, yes, of course it does. It cuts off abortion at 15 weeks. Okay. Okay, case closed. It's unconstitutional. What? So you don't want to hear anything about all the scientific knowledge we have now about the unborn children, all the evidence about how abortion harms women, all the other arguments that the legislators... Because it's up to legislators to do this kind of thing. You have hearings. You call in witnesses. You ask for documents. You, 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 you debate back and forth. You have amendments. You get the input of the people to come up with a law. That's serious business. You pass a law, it's changing and affecting people's lives. You better get it right. And if you find out later that you didn't get it right, you better change it real quick. The court didn't want to hear any of that. And so notice what happened. Because what happened there, and this is why, of course, ultimately the Supreme Court decided, listen, we've got to, we've got to resolve this case. And the question they posed in Dobbs is, are all abortions, are all, are all prohibitions on abortion prior to viability unconstitutional? Just by definition. That was the question. As soon as they posed that question, back in May of 2021, we were all very, very excited. Because we said, you know what? You don't pose a question like that unless you're ready to make a big change. So we were very, very confident right from day one that this was going to be good. But you notice what happened. What they did to that district court in that district court to this Mississippi law, blocking it with their eyes closed and their ears plugged up to all the evidence as to why we do need to stop abortion. That represents, brothers and sisters, what was happening for the last 50 years in every courtroom and in every legislature across America. Because of this idea, this false dogma, that abortion is a constitutional right that shut down all argument. 
Who wants to tamper with a constitutional right? You know, you're not going to listen to reasons why people should limit your freedom of speech or your freedom of religion. You have a constitutional right to say, hey, I'm holding on to this. I don't care what you say. In certain contexts, this, that's very appropriate. But they were trying to treat abortion the same way. And it didn't only short circuit the conversations going on in courtrooms and in legislatures. But you and I have experienced this. It shut down conversations happening between fellow citizens, between believers, between family members and co-workers. Discussions around the kitchen table, around the dining room table, in the workplace about, hey, what about abortion? And people could start talking about the development of the baby and all these other things. And, say, and, and, and then someone pipes up and says, oh, but it's a constitutional right. And it shuts down conversation. Who wants to argue against constitutional rights? Well, brothers and sisters, the landscape has changed. And I want you to understand the impact of this. The impact of this on your work and mine. Because now, and this is not only true in Georgia and Mississippi and Louisiana. What I'm about to say is also true in New York. And in New Jersey and in California and everywhere in between. No judge... No legislator, no political candidate, no citizen can ever say again, Oh, it is a constitutional right to abortion. The court has taken that away. So, understand the significance of this. The other side, that is the supporters of abortion, okay, have no argument. The killing of a baby is unjustifiable. It is impossible to defend. That's why the defenders of abortion never want to talk about abortion. Do you ever realize they defend it, they defend it passionately. But they never describe what they defend. Show me the speeches. When, when Biden came out after the Dobbs decision and he issued a just grandiose, he gave a speech, 15-minute speech, issuing an executive order that really doesn't, in the end doesn't really mean anything because they cannot over, overturn a Supreme Court decision, no matter what they might think they can do. Not once in that, those 15 minutes. Not once. Did he even so much as suggest or imply, much less explicitly state, that there might be another consideration at work here that needs to be paid attention to other than the so-called freedom and rights of the mother? Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's another consideration. If you bother to read the Dobbs decision... In fact, if you'd bother to read Roe v. Wade itself, it admitted, you know what, there's two parts to this equation. There's the asserted rights of the woman, and there's the asserted rights of the life within her. Whatever you want to call that life, whatever value you want to assign to that life, the fact of the matter is it's there, otherwise you wouldn't need a procedure to end it. So there's two pieces to the equation. Listen to that Biden speech. As a matter of fact, read the dissenting opinion in Dobbs. Not once 
Does it even acknowledge that there's something to be balanced here? Now we know the only way to balance this, I want to say a word about this because it pertains to it pertains to this. We know you can never infringe the right to life of any human being, whether unborn or born. Okay. But you know, just, just take a step back and say, okay, there's this debate in America. What's the debate all about? Well, you've got the rights of the woman, you've got the rights of the baby. And ultimately the question is, how do you balance those? When they're in conflict or in perceived conflict, how do you resolve it? The court tried to resolve it in Roe and Casey. What the court said in Dobbs is, hey, listen, it was actually an act of repentance and humility. You read the decision, you realize what they did. They stepped away from this controversial nationwide, deeply consequential debate. And they said, we're not qualified to solve this. We're not even authorized to solve this for the American people. That's part of the mistake we made in Roe and Casey's. We tried to be the arbiters of this abortion debate. You know what? We're not going to do that anymore. Because by doing that, by trying to do that, we did damage. So what are we doing instead? And this was the other part of the holding, right? I said the first part of the holding was there's no right to abortion in the Constitution. The second part of the holding is we return this matter to the people and their elected representatives. Because they can debate and they can have hearings. You can lobby your state lawmaker. You can't lobby a Supreme Court justice. You can sit down and you can make your case before the state legislator. You can't do that to the Supreme Court justice. And when your state legislator is legislating in a way that doesn't represent you, you can vote him out of office. You can't do that to a Supreme Court justice. You know why Supreme Court justices have lifelong terms? Whereas a member of Congress has to run every two years? Why is it set up that way? Oh, very simple. Because the Supreme Court justice who's in there for life isn't supposed to be making policy. They're supposed to be interpreting the Constitution. That's it. Their power is only one. Judgment. They make judgments. They don't make law. They don't make policy. They certainly can't enforce it. That's why they have lifetime terms. It shouldn't be a problem. Because they're not supposed to be politicians. The ones that are making policies, the ones that are accountable to you and me, the ones we can vote in or vote out, they're the ones that make policy because they, and this is why this decision, friends, is not just great news for the pro-life movement, it's great news for the United States of America because it is a reassertion of a very fundamental truth that we have to stand on, that we have to teach, and that we have to defend, which is that those who govern us have no power except for the consent of the governed. Our founders came and established this nation because they were rebelling against tyranny. You read the Declaration of Independence, not only does it have those beautiful self-evident truths and four mentions of God Almighty, whose gift of rights, starting with the right to life, and whose providence and whose role as the supreme judge of the world and whose laws our founders acknowledged in that Declaration of Independence. But then the rest of the Declaration is a list of grievances. Go back and reread them. It's all about human rights. The right to freedom, the right to life. The king was trampling on human rights. And what they were saying was, we have to declare independence from this king, 
Because government is not about following His will or the will of any unelected person. The only governance human beings can exercise is when they have the consent of the governed. You know what? It doesn't get better than that. That's why we're the only country in the world right now still operating under its original founding documents. The only one. Because God gave wisdom to those founders. And He's been giving wisdom to some of our leaders today. Brothers and sisters, we wouldn't be celebrating the end of Roe v. Wade were it not for Donald J. Trump. And when you listen to the speeches over and over, the rallies that he gives, the talks he gives, I don't miss a single one of them. Here are several of the key themes he keeps repeating. Things are really bad in this country, but we can turn it around. Because this country does not belong to those who are trying to destroy it. This country belongs to you. And what he also says in saying this, you hear him repeat it time and time again, we do not worship government. We worship God and God alone. So now, because of everything I've just said, the arguments you make when you're talking to a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker, my brother priests here and, and pastors of other denominations, the sermons you give, the teachings you impart to the people God has entrusted to your pastoral care will have more of an impact now. Because what the other side has to do is actually what we've been doing all along. If we're against abortion, we know how to stand up and make the case for why abortion's wrong and why the baby's life should be protected. We know how to make that case based on science, based on human reason, based on um, psychology, sociology, evidence, statistics. We know how to make the case. The other side has no case. So what have they been doing all these years? Well, like we just explained, they've been hiding behind the robes of the justices. Ooh, it's a constitutional right. Come down from the sky. Well... That's been taken away from them now. That's, by the way, why they behave like spoiled children throwing a temper tantrum, attacking churches, attacking pregnancy centers. Why in the world weren't they going peacefully to their state legislatures and saying, hey, you know, we, Dobbs, we still have the right to pass pro-abortion laws. I mean, you want to do what Colorado did, what New Jersey did, they have abortion right up until birth. Well, you could still do that. Dobbs didn't say you can't do that. But you see, they don't want to do that. They want to throw a tantrum instead because they're spoiled children. They haven't had to be part of the grown-ups club that you and I have been part of for decades where we make the case. We make the case to the public. We elect the kind of people that, that believe like we do and then we lobby them to pass laws. This is how it works in America. The other side doesn't know and doesn't care how it works in America because they don't care about America. That's why we have to reject them. That's why we have to reject, because it's just another form of tyranny if our policies are going to be made by unelected judges. But the point that I'm bringing to you here is now that that, 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 that that dogma has been taken away from them, 
our words have even more effect because then people can't counter them by saying, oh, but you're arguing against a constitutional right. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh, can't say that anymore. You believe in abortion? Make your case. Make your case. That has to happen in the legislatures now. That has to happen in the courts. And that has to happen in ordinary, everyday conversation in this country. And you know what that does? Then that strengthens what you do. When I say you're hitting the nail on the head, look at the kind of things you're doing. Going out there... uh, First of all, tonight here, you have a, a, a... being here tonight, okay, is not just a matter of donating generously, which I hope you do at the end of the evening, or, or enjoying a good meal, enjoying one another's company, but there are great pro-life resources here in this room here tonight. Drink them in before you go. I know like on the, on the table, for example, you have the information about the life chain coming up, or you have the billboards project that, that George was describing, right? Look what you're doing. You're taking the message to the public. When you're standing out there on a life chain holding a sign, when you put a billboard up, you're reaching people who are not, and and, and many of them would never go out of their way to hear or think about or talk about anything having to do with abortion. But you're making it impossible for them to ignore. Because they shouldn't ignore it. This is the most important issue we face. You're bringing it to them. You're getting into their path. You're not waiting for them. You're not sitting in the, the office, the pro-life office, or in the church. We're just waiting for them to come to you. Because many of them are never going to do that. They want to do everything possible to avoid thinking about abortion. So we say, you know what? We cannot afford for our fellow citizens not to think about it. So we're going to go into the path where they're already living their lives and going, you know, about their daily business. And we're going to bring that message there. This is what works, brothers and sisters. And you send people to the March for Life. That is a great national witness. You are part of it. And we will have the March for Life in Washington this coming January. It'll be Friday, January 20th. This is going to be a celebratory event. And it's also going to be a memorial for all these children that have been lost. We can never forget. We can never forget January 22nd. And we'll keep marching and we'll keep witnessing. But now, of course, the work enters a new phase. Too many people are are thinking, oh, well, we've won. So you know what? We don't have to be so active in this pro-life movement anymore. Friends, you know different. We have to make sure our fellow citizens know different. Here's the analogy you can use. Under Roe v. Wade, it was like a, a a football game where one of the teams was told, you can only use part of the field. The other team can use the whole field. You can only use well, you can only use part of the field. How are we going to have a touchdown? You can only use part of the field. And then, and, then the, and then the court comes along and says, oops, sorry, we made a mistake. Hey, guys, play the game according to the normal rules. Both teams can use the whole field according to the normal rules of the football game. Is that any time for the team to walk off the field? Or is that the time to play harder and win? This is what the, the, the Dobbs said. The reason we're reversing Roe is ultimately because this belongs to the people to decide. Well then, friends, let's decide it. Let's persuade our fellow citizens. Let's elect pro-life candidates. And by the way, Georgia, the nation is counting on you. The United States Senate has got to be in pro-life hands. And you've got a key role in that. It's got to happen. 
It's got to do, we'll be working with you, we and many other national organizations. I know our friends from Susan B. Anthony are here tonight. And, 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 and listen, we're going to do it. We're going to get the House back in pro-life hands. We're going to get the Senate back in pro-life hands. And we're going to get in 2024 the White House back in pro-life hands. It's no time, it's no time to back away or weaken or slacken in any way from the battle. We have got a new opportunity now. And people ask me, well, what has changed with the, for the work of the pro-life movement? I said, it's not so much that the work itself has changed as a result of Roe being reversed. It's that the impact of the work has changed. Understand, right? It's the impact of the work. Because now, now when we elect pro-life lawmakers, the laws they make are going to take effect instead of automatically be struck down by the courts. It's the impact that changes. So keep doing what you're doing. Take advantage of all the great pro-life resources that are here tonight, the tables that are back, including my own. I've got like these prayer books in the power of his spirit. Pro-life prayers to the Holy Spirit in the heart of His mercy, prayers for healing in the light of His Word, biblically-based prayers. Lots of things there. A couple of my books are there. Uh, Janet Morana, our executive director, her book about abortion and teens, everything that teens need to know about abortion. Lots of stuff back there. Please take a little extra time before you leave and take advantage of all the tables back there. The Pregnancy Center uh, material is there. Lots of great stuff, including, of course, your own materials from Georgia Right to Life. I encourage you. I thank you. You are an inspiration to those of us working on this on the national level. Uh, we are hand in hand, heart in heart, spirit in spirit. We have won a tremendous victory. But brothers and sisters, there is a final victory yet to be won. And the Dobbs case opens the door. It opens the door even to this, to declaring the child a person from conception. That's our final goal. That's the only goal that makes sense. The only one that is consistent with reality and science and morality. And I say to you tonight, we will get there. We will do it together. Let us build on this victory and let us bring about that final victory together. God bless you all. Oh, yeah, right, right. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.